Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. The book of Luke in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but don't go to John, go to Luke. And in Luke chapter 14, it's like halfway in the book, Luke chapter 14. Uh, this evening we're going to continue a series through the parables of Jesus Christ. We're on the third parable this evening. Um, in actual fact, it's a cluster of parables that we're going to be looking at from Luke chapter 14, beginning at the first verse and then going through to verse 24. Luke chapter 14. Rather than uh, read the passage and then go back and go through the passage again, I'm actually going to go through the passage as we work through the sermon. So let's, uh, oh, let's uh, bow our heads and commit this time Am I the only one that's hearing it? Okay. Okay, let's bow our heads and commit this time to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, we do thank you for your word. It is faithful and true, and upon it, we know we can build our lives, we can stake our testimony, uh, we can stake our doctrine, even our eternity. This evening, as we look at your word, Lord God, would you please guide us by your Holy Spirit into truth and guide us from error. Help us to see Jesus clearly, that we might follow him in all of our lives. This we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen. A few years ago, uh, my brother-in-law gave me uh, 10 books, uh, actually 10 audio books, so that I could listen in the car. I'm going to tell you all the books. Uh, There were a couple that were really interesting to me. Uh, Zen and the Art of uh, Motorcycle Maintenance. Uh, Also, Sun Tzu's uh, uh, The Art of War. Uh, There were also a couple of self-help books. I'd never listened to a self-help book or read a self-help book in my life before. And so I thought I'd give it a shot. And uh, I listened to what I was told was the number one self-help book which is out there, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's by a guy called Dale Carnegie, and it had some interesting insights in it. Uh, basically says, if you come to a dinner party, if you come to a place where there's a lot of people you want to make friends, or in your business you want to make friends, uh, you need to express genuine interest in the people that you're engaged with. But not only that, you, you need to be an active listener, and so it went through a series of things to help you to win friends and influence people. If I hadn't already titled the sermon this evening, I might title it Jesus Christ's Guide to Winning Friends and Influencing People, except he does the exact opposite of that in Luke chapter 14. Uh, the, The scene is set, it is a dinner party, and Jesus arrives, and everybody who is anybody is there. It's not too dissimilar to a place that you might go to over the next couple of weeks as you begin to meet people, if you're in your first year or as if you get together with your friends if you're in second or third year. Uh, A kind of event where you engage with people. The perfect event 
for Jesus to make friends and to influence people because the invited guests are the religious elite of Israel. They're all there. The guys with their top hats and the guys with their funny skirts. Everybody has rocked up for this big event and Jesus is there with them. This is Jesus' great moment to get in with the in crowd of religiosity in Israel. How does he manage himself? Now I'm going to tell you what happens in verse 1 to verse 6. But it is the opposite of what Del Carnegie would suggest Jesus should do. Instead, at the dinner party, Jesus heals a man antagonizing the Pharisees about their Sabbath traditions. Read verse 1 to verse 6 together with me. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. It says that this happened one Sabbath. One Sabbath as the Pharisees gathered. The Pharisees were the rulers of Israel. They were often seen as the guardians of all religious orthodoxy in the nation. And Jesus has run into them before. If you had to turn back to Matthew chapter 11, the end of that chapter, you would get those great words when Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. They're beautiful words. You must have heard, if you've been here before me, call them out during the gospel call. Come to Jesus. He will give you rest. But the rest that he's speaking about is actually picked up in chapter 12, verse 1 through to verse 14. Jesus there teaches on the Sabbath. And then he heals on the Sabbath, causing, in verse 14, the Pharisees to go out and plot to destroy him. The high point of the narration in chapter 12, verse 8, is when Jesus declares that the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the Sabbath rest. Jesus is the Sabbath rest. This idea of Jesus confronting these Pharisees that are dining, that are at this party, that are gathered together and are checking him out. This idea of Jesus confronting them continued into chapter 13, the chapter before the chapter that we're looking at this evening. In chapter 13, from verse 10 all the way through to verse 17, Jesus healed on the Sabbath, he taught on the Sabbath, and he experienced growing resistance to his ministry. It says that, one Sabbath, he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. And these Pharisees were watching him carefully. Now, that word 
carefully uh, implies that they were lurking around. They were waiting for him to speak or act. They were waiting for him to fall apart, to fall down. Something that they could point at him over. And behold. Uh, That's what the text says in verse 2. And behold. All of a sudden, in front of him, on the Sabbath, just like as in chapter 12, just like as in chapter 13, was a man that was sick. Had dropsy. I had to go look that up. I had no clue what dropsy was. Turns out it's an inflammation of the body. It's caused either by cardiac something or other, or or by a liver infection. I'm not a doctor. I don't know how it works, but it's a swelling of the body, particularly of the legs. Again, on a Sabbath, Jesus is presented with a man that needs him. And again, on the Sabbath, Jesus heals this man. And again, on the Sabbath, the Pharisees that are looking in on his ministry are riled up and antagonized because of their Sabbath traditions. Now, they're at this party, and they're dining together, and Jesus has just healed this man And now Jesus begins to teach those who are at the dinner party. He does it off the back of questions that they are going to ask him and he is going to ask them. And he does it giving them a series of parables. A series of parables. And if I had to give you one big picture of the next three parables that are to come, it's this. The kingdom of God is on offer to the humble, selfless Believers, The kingdom of God is on offer to humble, selfless believers. The first idea there of the kingdom of God being on offer is to those who are humble. And I, I want us to ask the question in the next few verses, who will be honored? Who will be honored? Reading from verse 7 to verse 11, here's the big picture. Unlike the self-important Pharisees at this dinner party, the humble will be honored. It reads in verse 7, you can follow in your own Bibles. Now he told a parable, a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor saying to them, here comes the parable, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, Do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you here's the point verse 11 for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted a parable Uh, last week jobu gave us a definition of a parable let me give you another parable is usually a story grounded in the real world that is used to provoke 
the audience. A parable is usually a story grounded in the real world which is used to provoke the audience. Yeah, Jesus is provoking the Pharisees. These men who thought themselves of great import in the nation of Israel. These men who had come to dine at this um, celebration. These men who had been invited by their host arrived. And as they arrived, they sought to take the best seats in the house. Now dinner parties in this age were not merely about food, but they were also about social status. They were about honor. They were about community. Hosting or attending a banquet was a way to display your wealth, your hospitality, and your influence. And those who were invited to such gatherings were often considered esteemed members of society. And being invited carried with it implications of social standing and respect. First century Middle Eastern meals were not eaten sitting at tables like we might eat sitting at tables today. Rather, one would lie on one side, the table itself would be very low, and your head would be towards the table, you'd be close to the person that was lying next to you. The seats of greater honor would be the seats that are as close as possible to the host. These Pharisees, as they arrived, chose the places of greater honor, the best seats in the house. And you can imagine that it might actually have happened that somebody, not knowing where they were sitting, sat in, and I never know a Jewish name when I need one in the middle of a sermon. Um, uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, let's go with Paul. Uh, Paul, Saul's seat. Saul, the, the guy that ran the synagogue, um, had a place next to the host, and as somebody else arrived, let's go with John, he sat in Saul's seat, so that when Saul arrived, the host said, John, you've got to move. And as he stood up to find another place at the table, because everybody had found their seats, the only place he could find was at the bottom of the table, furthest away from the action. Or maybe it was that Jesus himself arrived a little late, because Andrew and Peter had uh, wanted to fish and it had gone on too late and they had to wash up and they arrived at the dinner party a little bit late. And as they arrived, all Jesus' disciples got the worst spots in the house, but the host, recognizing that Jesus was amongst them, called him up to the front to come and sit next to him and all the other important people. And as Jesus noted what was going on, he made this parable, this story grounded in the real world that would provoke his audience. And he explains it to us in verse 11. He applies it for us in verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Friends, it is better to be humble and exalted then puffed up and put to shame. I thought of an example. This is a real life example. Liesl and I experienced this a few years ago. 
Um, we went to a wedding. It was the biggest wedding that we had ever been to. Uh, we had gone through marriage preparation with some close friends of ours and, uh, and taken them through a number of weeks. And they had asked if I would preach a message at the reception of their wedding. Well, we arrived at the wedding. It was a huge affair in a massive building. And then the reception was in this incredibly large hall. There were 400 people at the reception. The tables were 10 people at a table. We arrived and we arrived, I think, with Thomas because he was a baby. And we realized, because they had said no children allowed, and we kind of snuck Thomas in because we didn't have a choice. And uh, we needed to find a seat. And so we, we sat as close as we possibly could away from everything, just in case he cried, just in case he was a nuisance, just in case Liesl needed the bathroom. We sat um, at the back of the hall. After the hall, there was like a, a section that was outside. We, we took a seat there and uh, we sat and we waited for the reception to begin. A- and the reception began and the married couple stood up and they said, uh, is Pastor Mark here? And Liesl um, and uh, <coughs> we kind of put up our hands a little bit and uh, nobody in the front could see and so people were looking around and it went backwards, backwards, backwards until eventually, yeah, at the back of this, uh, of this venue was, uh, was Mark with his hand up. And they said, oh, that's great. We're about to serve the food and we're going to pray. And so they prayed uh, for the food and then the bridal couple went and dished up the food and then they brought the food to Liesl and I. Um, in reality, we had really sat as far away from the action as possible because we felt like the outsiders at this particular wedding. But the bridal couple chose to honor us even above all others. It was the most incredible um, experience. What Jesus is saying here is that what is true in this parable is true in life. It is better to humble yourself and be exalted than be puffed up and put to shame. Well, Jesus doesn't stop there. He's already, he's already antagonized everyone in the room. All these self-important, puffed-up Pharisees, these religious leaders, have been put to shame by Jesus' words, but he is on a roll. How to win friends and influence people by Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The second point begins at verse 12, and we're going to ask the question, who will be rewarded? We've answered the question, who will be honored? And the answer is, those who are humble. But who will be rewarded? Who will be rewarded? And let me tell you what it says from verse 12 to verse 14. Unlike the self-serving Pharisees at this dinner party, the selfless will be rewarded. The selfless will be rewarded. Listen to what the text says in verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The question is who will be rewarded? At this dinner party was the hobnob of society. I mean, if the dinner party was thrown today, everybody would have arrived and it would be black tie, tuxes. And the tuxes would have been Gucci and whatever else, uh, whoever else makes tuxes. Uh, the, the, the idea would, it, would be it would be a Lani affair. 
This is the dinner party that Jesus Christ finds himself at. And he speaks directly to the host and he says, you've invited these people because next week, Friday, uh, that guy over there is going to invite you to his dinner party. And that guy over there is going to give you a deal. And that guy over there is going to give you this. And this guy is going to make sure that you get the best seats in the house when you go to church. There's a reason why you have invited the people that are at your house. But instead, when you invite people, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. These are people that are of no repute in society. These are people that cannot pay you back. These are the guys that are at your gate and begging. These are the people that there is no advantage for you in taking care of them. And Jesus says, invite them. Why ought you to invite them? Because the people that you are inviting, you are going to get repaid today in this world. In the next week or the next month or the next year, cash is going to roll in or fame is going to roll in or prestige is going to roll in based on these associations that you have made. But when you associate with the poor and the cripple and the lame and the blind, friends, you are laying up for yourself treasure which is in heaven. Treasure which doesn't come to fruition in this life, but treasure which will come to fruition in the life to come. You be repaid. You will be blessed. The one who stores up for himself treasure in heaven will be paid back by God himself. What's the point of the story? Well, the point of the previous story is it's better to be humble and exalted than puffed up and put to shame. The point of this story is that those who will be rewarded will be rewarded for what they do in this world that will not be paid in this world, but paid in the world to come. He explains that at the end of this parable in verse 14. In the second half of verse 14, it says, For, that's a grounding statement, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. There's a time coming when delayed gratification will meet a future reward. So, three points. Who will be honored? Who will be rewarded? And lastly, who will be saved? The answer to who will be honored is the humble. The answer to who will be rewarded is the selfless. The answer to who will be slaved is what? From verse 15 onwards, and let me tell you what this text is going to say. Unlike these self-righteous Pharisees who refuse to come to Jesus, the whosoever will, will be saved. It says in verse 15, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, who's going to be honored and who's going to be rewarded, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. This guy thought he must be in. As he thought of Jesus Christ's criteria as to who will be honored and who will be rewarded, he must have thought, I am that humble guy. <laughs> I am that selfless man. Surely I will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Verse 16. But he said to him, Jesus, on how to win friends and influence people, gives a third parable. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come. For everything is ready. 
but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out to see it. Please uh, have my excuse. And the other said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excuse. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done. And still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highway and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Here's the point. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Jesus is in a room full of religious people. Not just religious people. Jesus is in a room full of Jews. And not just Jews. Jesus is in a room full of the most Jewish Jews that could be Jews. Uh, These are Pharisees. These are letter of the law keeping people. You don't get any better people than these. If anyone could be saved by doing stuff, these are the guys that did stuff. And Jesus says... You've received your invitation. You've heard from the scriptures that you must come. What he's implying is that the scriptures, the Old Testament, speaks of a promise that was to come. A redeemer that would come. An anointed one that would arrive. A Christ that would be presented to the people of God. And when that prophet arose, God's people were to turn to him and put their faith and trust in him. They'd received their invitation. But instead of coming to Jesus Christ, these Pharisees made any excuse in the book. I mean, this is a story, right? Grounded in reality, uh, given to provoke the audience. You get these excuses. Hey, I've bought a field. I've got business to do. I need to go and finish that off. I'll see you later. I mean, you understand these excuses. I've I've bought five oxen. I need to go and examine them. If I don't, there'll be a material loss. And the last one is a classic. I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. I mean, there he's probably giving some indication to the Old Testament that a married man didn't have to go out to war for the first year, but it says nothing about not coming to your Savior. If you are at church tonight, I'm going to assume that you're religious to one degree or another. I'm going to assume that in some way you've been exposed to the things of God I'm going to assume that at some stage in your life you may have received an invitation to come to Jesus. But what is your excuse? Why is it that you have not come? 
Jesus says, even though these people have received their cards and have RSVP'd and have their ticket into the banquet, they will from now on be denied entry. Instead, go to those who are poor and go to those who are crippled and go to those who are blind and go to those who are lame. Go to those who are religious outcasts, sinners, just like me. People who recognize that if it wasn't for the grace of he who's throwing the banquet, I wouldn't get through the doors and invite them to come. And if they come, let them in and let them dine. <laughs> but not just them. This is important, especially for us tonight. The, the servant says, sir, what you've commanded has been done and there's still room. And so the master says to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges Go far and wide. Spread the news of this invitation to come to Jesus as far as it will go and as many as come are to come. The most Jewish of Jews denied their Christ. But the gospel message was proclaimed far and wide. It was proclaimed, yes, first in Jerusalem, but then in Judea and Samaria and Gentiles just like you and I believed. And then it skipped over the Aegean Sea and went to Macedonia. And from Macedonia it went on ships and went all over the world. The gospel has even come here to Africa, to the southern point of our continent. And the gospel message goes out this evening, and it is the same invitation as always. Come. You are a sinner in need of a savior. It doesn't matter if, you, if you're the most wretched person you know or if you are a Pharisee like the people at this dinner party, a goody two-shoes that never does anything wrong. You have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of your sin is death. It is separation from Jesus Christ and from his mercy and his grace and his love. But friend, Jesus died for your sins. He came into this world and he bled and died on a cross. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remittance for sin. But the Savior died that you might live. The righteous for the unrighteous. The godly for the ungodly. The darling of heaven for rebels just like you. Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave in victory over death, in victory over the grave, in victory over sin, in victory over the wicked one. And the offer this evening is the same offer that he presented to the people in this passage, to the people that he spoke to each and every day, and that his disciples went into the world to proclaim, and it's this, come. Come all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. This evening, friend, whatever your sin, whatever your pharisaical tendencies, leave your works behind and come to the cross of Jesus Christ. Confess your sins, repent, turn away from them and cast yourself upon him and you will live. Jesus goes to this dinner party and he is not intending to win friends and influence people. He's intending to put on display what kingdom living and those who are saved look like. 
the kingdom of God is on offer to all those who are humble, selfless believers. Who will be honored? The humble. Who will be rewarded? The selfless. Who will be saved? Those who believe. For those of us who are in Christ, note that the economy of the kingdom is opposite to the economy of religiousity. You're not saved by religious trappings. You're saved by Jesus Christ and you're to live to his praise and his glory and that way is laid down for us in his word. Follow his word and live. Let's close our eyes and pray to Almighty God. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. It is faithful and true. Upon it we can, well, we can rest our lives and stake our doctrine, even our eternity to come. And thank you, Lord, that in your word we see how we are to be sanctified, how we are to be made holy, how we are to be made right with God. And it is through the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord God, help us to live lives that are pleasing to you, lives which are humble, lives which are um, uh, selfless. And Lord God, stir in our hearts increased belief that we would glorify your Son be empowered by your spirit and bring much praise and glory to our Father who is in heaven. We ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.